welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome to Fracture Line. We have today a great surgeon, Dr. Farzad Amiri. So Dr. Amiri, tell us a little about yourself, uh, what you do for a living, and anything else you'd like to tell us. All right. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I am a uh, general and trauma surgeon for Marshall University. Uh, we're located in Huntington, West Virginia. I'm an associate professor here. I've been here for about four years. Uh, trained a little bit in the Northeast, in Connecticut and New York City, uh, and then ended my residency here at Marshall, and I stayed on. Probably my first year of practice, I had um, gotten involved with rib fixation, and nobody else was doing it here. Quickly caught traction, and the rest is history. Okay, one of the things that you were telling us, um, um, very interesting thing, is about, about the, the rural surgery um, residency that you're a part of. Can you tell us sure. more about that? Sure. So um, I work in the traditional general surgery residency that's been here for over 30 years at Marshall. Uh, we are in Appalachia, so we do cater to a lot of the rural uh, folk. Um, in addition to that, we are the first program to get ACGME accreditation this year for a rural general surgery residency, which will be a uh, basically a sister program to the general surgery program. Now, tell us about, or one of the reasons I know that we were so interested in having you come is talking about your recent publication. I'm really uh, very intrigued about it. Sure. So um, we published this year... Uh, so this year we published in Sage Journals uh, about operative rib fixation in a rural trauma setting. Um, and this was pretty much documenting my first 36 to 40 cases. So me and my residents have worked on it this year and we published it. And you guys had reached out and wanted to talk about it a little more. Well, when you say rural, I mean, it's still a hospital. It's just, in, how big is how big is the hospital? How, you know, it's, it's not, you're not plating in, in, the, in the woods. So <laughs> how big is the hospital and everything else? Right. The so backwoods of West Virginia. <laughs> probably could. Uh, the two hospitals are, are um, level two trauma centers about 350, 400 beds each. Um, probably could be a level one if they want it to be. Um, we do have an encatchment area of at least a two-hour driving distance around us. We have a level one trauma center nearby. However, they're usually pretty full, so we get stuff from even beyond there. Think of us between WVU, University of Kentucky, and Ohio State right in the middle of all those by about two and a half, three hours. Dr. Amiri, I'm going to make the assumption that you started out by fixing flail patients, the most severely injured ones, and then have you have you evolved your indications? Are you doing patients with maybe a lesser degree of injury now? What are your indications? My indications have got a lot more, I guess, lax, if you will. So I do, I start out with flail segments, and then I transition to uh, anything more than two to three fractures or ones that I think are going to develop respiratory failure based off ABG or incentive spirometer. I do find myself being a geriatrician now because I'm, I think my average age this year is about 80 for rib plating. I think the oldest one I've ever done was 96. So uh, we, we have, um, you know, at CWIS, we do a couple of different meetings. Um, we have a, our summit, it's once a year in, in like in March, April time. Um, and then we also try to do one in the middle of the year just to keep everyone, you know, engaged in, in the society. And we do a, it's like a Zoom type of a, of a uh, session. In November, we're going to do a uh, case review series on just non-generic, so 90 and above. So if you have if you have the, those that that patient these patients if you have a couple of them it may be worthwhile to maybe 
give us a little bit of a review of those patients and, and, and talk with us. So we can talk to you offline about that as, as maybe something you or your resident can do. It's a great experience for residents to be able to do uh, case reviews and, and, and presentations without having you know a whole room full of people looking at them and everything else. So we've given a lot of people some good uh, experiences that way. Okay. So we should definitely, if, you, if your patient is that old, it's a, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, and she was home in like four days, which was even more impressive. Well, I assume they're, they're a little bit more hardy if they live um, in the rural area. They're probably doing more than just the usual um, people who live in, in like in Utah where they just... Well, sure. I mean, the West Virginians, everybody and... knows they have to like carry trees on their back and things like that. Right. So naturally, you know. <laughs> well, we're super interested as well, you know, in how... How people decide on, or I'm interested, I should say, on how people decide on rural medicine. I know that, you know, Dr. White practiced in a more rural environment at one point and then, you know, kind of changed course. And, you know, I, I feel like everybody has a different reason that they're drawn to, to you know, working outside of the academic level one kind of centers. And, and I'm curious what, what, you know, brought you from Connecticut where I suspect you were probably right in the heart of all of that, you know, to, to West Virginia and what, what that, what that decision looked like or what maybe the changes you didn't anticipate, but then found yourself in. I mean, residency is what, what uh, started my journey here to West Virginia. Uh, I'm from Florida originally, I was born and raised, so I had no idea where, where exactly West Virginia was on a map, admittedly. But, uh, once I got <laughs> here, actually I met my wife here, here in my first year of residency and, uh, you know, her family's here and we raise a, we're raising a daughter here. So it just made sense to stay local. Do your, um, your residents, obviously, if they're like any other residents anywhere else, they love rib fixation surgery because it's, it's kind of fun and it's, you get to work with bones and the chest and that oh, sort yeah. of thing. So what, what do they tell you or what, are the, what's their experience? Have you been training enough now to know how many are going out and actually doing it in their, in their environments, in their rural environments? I assume that many of your, your, residents uh go to rural type practices when they leave your fellow your residency is that true most of the residents that want to do rib plating after they get out of residency they end up going to a trauma fellowship from here but the benefit is they they tell me that they go there already experienced and their trauma surgeon faculty are very impressed with their skills and um, some places don't do rib fixation yet and they're bringing that technology to them and I'll actually even take it further since I teach medical students. Um, my medical students get to do some of the plating with me. And my wife was in the OBGYN department getting ultrasound with her OB. And one of the med students was there. And like, oh, are you Dr. Amiri's wife? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so the OBGYN goes, oh, yeah, you get to see some cases. He goes, no, I get to do like plating of ribs with the surgeon. Like I actually get to do the screwing. <laughs> so they're tickled about it. They love that kind of stuff, hands-on. So coming from, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also out of my element. I'm, I'm originally a New Yorker. I live in Kansas now. And so I bought my first uh, pair of boots this year. So what have you done You're to change your lifestyle from moving on the East Coast into, into, into the rural area? Uh, so I've dabbled in hunting I've, uh, a little bit. Uh, around residency, I bought a motorcycle. Very briefly, I bought an Indian motorcycle of the back roads here and then i quickly saw a bad trauma or two and i sold it the area affords a lot of hobby time uh and, and hand work so probably the reason why i got into rib plating is because i like to work with my hands and i i'm a woodworker that's my it's my ho main hobby so i do a lot of crafts and build furniture for the house and stuff 
Right. That's very That's cool. cool. Well, I know you mentioned to me, I believe you mentioned to me that you were utilized a system or you have utilized a system, I should say, that's external. But I know that organization also has intrathoracic plating. Um, have you, you know, started moving into that realm or, or tell me just a little bit about how that works? I mean, if your residents are, are at all intimidated by vats and, and other things. So... I have trained on it. I've done the prerequisite uh, course. I like it, and especially for some fractures that I can't easily get to, it makes sense. Uh, however, the bean counters at the hospital are still resistant for the last six months. So I'm almost at the point where I'm going to get a trial of at least 10 patients where they'll let me try it to see if it makes financial sense for the hospital. But that's the biggest hurdle right now I'm uh, dealing with. But yeah, the residents want to do it because they want to get VATS procedures and decortications. And, and they want to try a different way of doing rib fixation. How many people are in your department uh, um, for, for trauma? We have between the two hospitals, I believe, nine or ten faculty that do trauma. And how many of those ta faculty are doing rib playing? Is it just you or is it uh, other people doing it now also? Five currently. Uh, okay, that's great. So you have, a, you have a good cohort of people doing it. Correct. Right. That's and, fantastic. Uh, now, how many of those people are you going to mention to them that they want to be a CWIS member because it's so fun? That's the next question. <laughs> Actually, you know what's interesting? Right before I got on here, I was looking to make a uh, joining. So we hear that a lot. Well, let's just see. Let's, let's, let's see if it actually changes. Yeah, let's see if our numbers go up by another point uh, there you go. tomorrow. Yeah, you guys. You know what? I don't feel like you're good at this. If you browbeat the guest and potential member, that's usually wait till you hear my next question. If you think that's bad. <laughs> but seriously, we all know that opioids are a major problem everywhere. But particularly your your region of the country has uh, been particularly hit hard with. Uh, the opioid yeah. epidemic. Can you talk a little bit about rib fixation in that context, and whether you do you think about it as a as a as a method to limit or prevent that more further addiction or further problems? Or what do you what are your thoughts on that? Right. So it's all anecdotal because I didn't actually study it, but I do know that our opioid usage has reduced significantly. In addition to the shorter hospital stay, obviously, for some of my patients recently, the, they don't get more than weeks of narcotics from me, typically. And I'll usually be the one that follows them. Um, it's not, I don't even do, I don't do cryoblation, unfortunately. It's, a, it's another bean counter problem I have. But, um, you know, it's a night and day difference from yeah. pre-op to post-op. And I tell any of my non-believers, even OR staff or nursing, I say, you know what, go see him before and go see him right after and then tell me what you think. And they'll believe it afterwards. Yeah, it's unfortunate they don't get a chance to see these patients with you on day 14 or day 21 or day 30 when they're not asking for narcotics like they used to right. prior to uh, fixation. So, I'll leave you with one more thing. My, um, my chairman, he, he enjoys uh, nicknames, so he uh, refers to me as the ribologist. So even this, <laughs> I even when he's talking to the ER, he's like, oh, I'll have the ribologist come check him out. And they're like, who's the ribologist? <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Well, I'm in Kansas City. Kansas City has everything as barbecue. So there's actually a, uh, a, a rub called KC Rib Doctor. And <laughs> I've had a couple of patients give me that as a, as a gift after I fixed their, and I'm the KC Rib Doctor. So, so 
Journal Club is going to be led by Dr. Michael Guzman, and we are going to be looking at um, a recent publication of Dr. Benjamin Oliver. For those that remember um, when he was on the on the pod um, last year, he's a, a terrific surgeon and an academician um, over in the the UK. And so that's on the 14th of September. We have a webinar on the 20th of September that is going to be by Dr. White and Dr. Um, Fro Sidwa talking about incision planning and uh, strategies for success, etc. So um, keep an eye out on the newsletter for that one. Um, and Two very important rubologists. Absolutely. Right? Rubologists all around. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they call me the costal cowboy. I so like it. <laughs> oh, see, that's a good one. That's very good. And then we have two, uh, well, actually, I take the back. We have three social events coming up. So on September 22nd, we are going to have a social. Well, those of us that are in Chicago are, are hanging out at the AAST. We're going to have a social that night. So if you're headed to the AAST, sign up. Um, we are also going to have a social in conjunction with the ACS Clinical Congress in San Diego. That one is on Monday, October 17th. Um, and then we also are going back to having our um, CWIS training networking session, which is basically um, residents and fellows. And we did a Zoom call for an hour where people could just ask questions, talk about research they were interested in. And actually, it was the place, um, the birthplace of what was our first um, trainee paper or trainee research project, which became a paper that's going to be published in JTACs coming up. So that trainee networking session um, is September 27th, Tuesday, September 27th at 7 p.m. Mountain. Um, super fun. It's free. Everybody gets a gift certificate to Grubhub so they can all order dinner and hang out and chat for an hour about CWIS and ribs and training opportunities and things like that. So if you, um, if you are a trainee, please look um, in the newsletter for that and sign up. If you have trainees, please forward it to them and make sure that they sign up because it's, it's a pretty good time. So those are items we have pending on the calendar. Oh, I have one more. Um, November 30th is coming. I've been, you know, making people aware, but you will see notification of this again, November 30th. So nominations for the Bill Long Award are due on the 30th, as well as all scientific abstracts due on November 30th. So Put it on your calendar now. It's today, the end of August, or just you know, nearing the end of August. So you have three solid months to get your scientific abstracts written and ready. Um, so anyone that that thinks that, oh, hey, maybe she'll take it late. Maybe I'll just turn it in late. The answer is no. You've officially been notified. The final part of this is the, the final stitch, uh, which is just more or less us shutting out to whoever we want to talk to about anything that's on our minds. Dr. White always seems to pick some very poignant, um, um, you know, social issue that he wants everyone to be aware of. So. <laughs> Not this week. <laughs> This week, not this week. Entirely oh, selfish, <laughs> and uh, no, I, I, uh, I just wanted to thank and uh, shout out my subspecialty colleagues. I mean, I, I have the best partners in the world, but I also have some of the best surgical subspecialists who help us on the trauma service on a regular basis. They're almost to a person, uh, affable, available. They almost always say yes instead of I don't think we can do that, and. Uh, this week, my one of my orthopedic colleagues helped me out with a lateral implosion injury. He, 
he stepped up and did the scapula and the clavicle, and I did the ribs. And um, you know, I'm convinced that that's what that's how this injury needs to be treated aggressively with all of the conditions fixed. And I think it's going to give the patient the best outcome. And so, uh, a shout out to those uh, non uh, rib colleagues who help us out every day. Okay. All right, I'm going to go next. I'm going to follow follow along with Dr. White. Also, a shout out to another surgeon. Uh, this one is my wife. Uh, so my wife just started a new um, a new job or same job but a different place. I'm actually working in my hospital now. So she's got credentials and she's going to be starting and heading up the cleft palate cleft lip program at Overland Park Regional. And um, so we had a a 12 year old came. I got called about a 12 year old who's a son of a of of a colleague of mine who got injured doing um, doing something stupid. And um, me and her operated together. It was pretty cool. Um, so That's she's cool. Plastics K and I'm Trauma K. Uh, there was a question whether she'd be called Lady K, but we figured Plastics K and Trauma K are our names now in the hospital. So That's you know, very fun. I have one sound effect for that hey, one. Please. I love it. <laughs> please tell Dr. Allison K that yes. we are excited for her. So mine is um, a little bit of a mea culpa moment. Um, just going to come clean on something I did this week that was not, um, not a very good idea. And... Um, you know, sometimes we do things that are dumb. And I was attending a meeting this week, which it's an association for association executives, right? So it sounds very meta, but it's it's a very cool group. And there are about 4,000 people that attend this meeting. And it was in um, Nashville. And I was so excited. Like, it's, it's a really good group. I've been to this meeting before. You learn a ton about how to, just basically how to run a society or association better. So I... Um, looked at the website and all of the room rates were $300 plus to stay by the conference, you know, like around the convention center. And my maybe cheap, I'm going to say frugal heart could not allow me to do it. So I found what I thought was going to be a perfectly respectable place to stay that was, you know, a little ways down the road, but it was only $100 a night, which should have been an indication. Um, the next indication was when I saw like spiders in the ceiling in the shower that it turns out that's not a room amenity, spider removal. Um, and then there were like bugs. I kept finding bugs still crawling on the countertop in the bathroom. <laughs> I definitely had, um, some, some humbling moments of recognizing why you just stay nearby the conference. You know, there's just no need to be cheap. There are things that are worth like pinching a penny on and this one wasn't one of them. So that is my mea culpa moment. I did something very dumb in the spirit of frugality and I learned the lesson the hard way. I'm just gonna have a shout out to my wife who um, is my strongest supporter. She uh, takes care of our 10 month old and manages everything that I can't manage when I'm at work. Um, she's an amazing person. I can't do what I do without That's fantastic. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Nice to meet you in yes. person. Have no a good bad. week, everybody.